Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Everyone said, Amen. So I take eyes to see, I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. You may be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. On Sundays, we've been doing the overflow series. We've talked about how God wants to overflow, us to overflow with hope, encouragement, with his spirit. And on Sunday, we're going to talk about how God wants us to overflow with his goodness in the financial arena. Amen? Amen. So that's Sunday's message. But one of the things the Lord told us on New Year's Eve is that this is a year of fullness, overflow, and glory. And he told us to focus on three things. Focus on fullness, focus on fruitfulness, and focus on fire. So one of the things we're going to do over the next several Wednesday nights, midweek experiences, we're going to talk about fruitfulness. What fruit does God actually expect us to bear, and how can we focus on fruitfulness? Look at this prayer of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1. It's a prayer that I pray for you all the time. And it says, in this I pray that your love may abound or overflow yet more and more knowledge in all judgment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. So Paul prayed that these believers would be filled with the fruits of righteousness, not just have a little fruit of righteousness, but to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. The Amplified Classic Edition says in verse 11, may you abound in and be filled with the fruits of righteousness, of right standing with God and right doing, which come through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, to the honor and the praise of God, that his glory may be both manifested and recognized. The New Living Translation says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, For this will bring much glory and praise of God. One of the things, the first thing I want you to notice about these fruit that are supposed to come from you, these are fruit that come by or through Jesus. These fruit come by or through Jesus. See, these fruit come by and through Jesus. Now, if these fruit come through Jesus, you can't get them any other way. If these fruit come through Jesus, you cannot get them any other way. Go to Galatians chapter 5. So when we talk about the fruits of righteousness, everyone thinks of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's correct. And we all know they're in Galatians chapter 5. So a lot of times we go to chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, and we read the fruit of the Spirit. But today I want you to start in verse 16. Galatians 5, verse 16. He says, this I say then, walk, or in other words, live, or order your steps on a regular basis in the Spirit. 
and you should not fulfill the lust or the inordinate strong desire of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Now, before we go forward, one of the things you have to understand in the Greek, there's no capital letters. So in order to know if the word pneuma, which is in the Greek for spirit, is talking about the Holy Spirit or your reborn created spirit, you would have to know it by context. Now, it says here, if you look in the King James, it's capitalized, and it says the spirit lusts against the flesh or puts pressure on the flesh or puts pressure on the spirit. Now, the thing is, if the Holy Spirit put pressure on your flesh, you're going down. You really think your flesh can resist the almighty power of God. So it's not talking about your flesh putting pressure on the Holy Ghost. It's talking about your flesh puts pressure on your reborn, recreated spirit man. To understand that, you have to remember you are a tripart being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. And you live in a body. You are a spirit being. This house is not the real you. How many of you can see the real me? See, I just gave you guys the answer and you still missed it. This house is not the real you. You are a spirit. So how many of you can see the real me? No, I can't. No, you can't. You see the house I live in. I can't see the real you. I see the house you live in. I see your body. I see your flesh. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. Your spirit and your soul are the eternal parts of you. And you live in this natural body. Now, when you are born again, your spirit is born again. Your soul, your mind must be renewed by the word of God. And you must learn how to control your emotions and get your will in line with the word of God. Your body is not born again. Amen. Even though people say, I came to the altar and my hands felt new, my head felt new, my toes felt new, my weave felt new. I'm glad everything felt new. But your body wasn't saved. Your body is not redeemed fully until the rapture of the church. And you get a glorious body. So right now, you have your body, your flesh that wants to do things that aren't right. Sometimes your body, if you train it, will want to do the right things. Other times your body won't want to do the right thing. How many know that eating pie at midnight on a regular basis is not the best thing for you? But your body will surely suggest it. You have, you're just like, well, I need to go to bed early so I can wake up early and pray. But what about that apple pie in the refrigerator? What about some vanilla ice cream after you warm up the pie and put it on top? That's going to bless you. No, it's not. But your body's sure going to ask for it. Your body will ask for a lot of things. It would put pressure on your spirit because your body wants certain things. But in the same way, your spirit puts pressure on your body to tell your body what to do. Here's how you see who wins. Your mind is the decision maker. That's why it's important to renew your mind with the Word of God. Because if you don't renew your mind with the Word of God, even if you're saved, even if you're born again, even if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll still act like a heathen. You'll have believers behaving badly. Why? They didn't renew their mind. They're baby Christians. And what do babies do? They mess their diapers. 
So you got so many Christians running around with messy diapers. And they don't realize it because they never renewed their mind. Your spirit's born again. Your soul must be renewed, but your body is still your body. So you must renew your mind, but you also must feed and build your spirit. Because if someone's putting pressure on another person, the person who's going to win is the one who's stronger. So if you build your spirit, your spirit can put pressure on your body and always win. But you must build your spirit and you must renew your mind. So Paul continues. So these two are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So when anyone was like, man, I wanted to do the right thing and I still did the wrong thing. Anyone ever had that before? Paul goes in details about it in Romans chapter 7. Here's the reason why. Your body wants one thing, your spirit wants the other, and at that moment, your body was stronger than your spirit. So he says they're contrary to one another, they're fighting. But he says, but if you are led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. This is what your body wants to do. Now, there are 17 things listed here. Your body may not want to do every 17, but one of the 17 your body is prone to do. Now, you have to understand, when you were born into this world, you were born into sin. And there is for everybody a sin that so easily besets, as it says in Hebrews. There are some things that you are tempted to do that your neighbor may not tempt tempted to do. There may be some battles you fight that the person next to you won't have to fight. That doesn't mean you judge the other person by the battles they fight. That just means it's not your battle. But that doesn't mean, well, because I was born to this fight, I just have to give in to it. No, you still fight it. So the works of the flesh are these. First one's adultery. We know what that is. The next one is fornication, which is the Greek word pornea, which means sexual immorality, having sex with someone you're not married to, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, prostitution, and pornography. The next one, uncleanness. This one, uncleanness, is impurity of lust. The next one, the fourth one, is lasciviousness, which is lack of self-control, total irresponsibility, unbridled lust, promiscuous, and unprincipled in sexual matters. The first four of the works of the flesh deal with sexual matters. The next one, it says idolatry. Idolatry is simply putting things in God's place. Now, we're a Western culture. So you might say, well, I don't set up a gold or silver idol in my house and bow down to it. You may not bow down to a gold and silver statue, but there may be some things you put in God's place that you bow down to by your actions. Still idolatry. It's extreme greed. And vices that spring from idolatry and peculiar to it. So you might say, well, so what? I put something in God's place. If it stays there, that means it's dictating how you live. Idolatry in Old Testament and New Testament times was usually connected to the act of prostitution or sexual immorality. A lot of the pagan religions, where you look at Zeus and different Roman and Greek religions, their ministers at the temple or their priestesses were prostitutes. And so how does that affect us today? What are the vice that can come up from extreme greed? You heard Minister Reggie talk a little bit about it on Sunday. In today's sense, it would be sleeping around in order to get ahead. 
That's still idolatry. Or as Minister Reggie mentioned on Sunday, because the strip clubs pay so well, our young people go there instead. That's still a form of idolatry. The next word you see is witchcraft. Now, that Greek word is pharmakia, pharmacy. So what does it mean? It's not just sorcery, which is included. It's drug use. One of the things you look at when you look at old times from when this book was written, one of the ways that the priestesses and the ministers of pagan religions would contact the spirit world is they would get high. They'd swing them over a pit of drugs, they'd get filled with the drugs, and they'd come back and they'd prophesy. So just because, well, the weed's not hurting any, it's not hurting me, it's natural, come on. You get high, who knows who you're contacting? I had a friend of mine, he's a music minister today, but back about 15 years ago, he was on the secular circuit working with the number one artist of that year. And so he came from the church, was backslidden, but he would try to create something that he thought was sweet, was great, and it wouldn't be any lyrics to it, but they would tell him, dude, that sounds kind of churchy. They didn't realize his gift was still working. But what they would do to get the right beat that they knew would sell is they would all get high together. And they says, oh, yeah, that's how we really get what we really need. So what happened? They got high, they contacted the spirit realm, and they're bringing that influence in their beats. It's nothing new under the sun. So sorcery, witchcraft. So that closed horoscopes. So I'm saying, well, what's your sign? It better be Jesus, nothing else. <laughs> well, don't you know, because I'm a Scorpio, I'm this. Stop identifying yourself by someone who writes this little book about the stars, and it changes all the time. Identify yourself by what God says you are, not because of your sign. This includes calling psychics. Real ones or fake ones. The fake ones are just stealing your money. The real ones are taking your money and giving you some demons and doggy bags. <laughs> Variance, contention, quarreling, always fighting or strife. Next word, emulations, envious and contentious rivalry. The word strife here means self-seeking of political office by unfair means. Or putting yourself up while tearing people down. So in order to make yourself look good, you talk about how bad everyone else is. Seditions, which means dissension or division. Heresies, this word here actually means factions. Or always breaking up into different cliques and excluding others. Another word, revelings, means late night drinking parties, clubbing. Murders. Drunkenness. This word drunkenness means intoxication. But when you look at it in the Greek, the first few words of the word is meth. Envies and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when you realize, like, oh, if I do this, man, I'm messed up. But when you look at this word from the Greek, do, it doesn't mean that you did it or that you struggle with it or every once in a while you did. It meant this is your normal practice. This is your habit. This is what you decided to do, and this is what I'm doing every single day. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So before you understand the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll get into those in the later weeks, you have to understand it's presented in contrast to the works of the flesh. So it's not just standing as a scripture by itself. But in order to understand the importance of that contrast, you must understand the context and what the book of Galatians was written under. So go back to Galatians chapter 1. The fruit of the Spirit are presented in contrast to the works of the flesh. But in order to understand the importance of that contrast, you must understand the context of the book of Galatians. So Paul's writing to the churches of Galatia. There's a number of churches there, and he's writing them, addressing specific issues. So he gets right to it in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So there are some people that snuck into the churches of Galatia saying, you're not saved by faith in Jesus. You have to do some works. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law, and then you'll be saved. Paul came preaching the grace of God, preaching the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they believed. And then he leaves, and someone else shows up saying, hey, yeah, well, Paul said, it's great. Yes, Jesus and Lord and all, but in order to experience this, you must do this, that, and the other. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, the life that I now live in my physical body, my physical body that wants to do things that my spirit doesn't want to do. How do I live this life successfully? I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you will have to live by faith. The works of the flesh will not produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You think if I keep a whole list of the law, all 663 things in the law, if I keep it, I'll have the fruit of the Spirit? No, you won't. Paul goes on with strong languages that if you get circumcised and go back to keeping the law, then Jesus died in vain. It's not by your works you get the fruit of the Spirit. What did I have you say at the beginning of the message? The fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of righteousness come through Jesus. They don't come through your works. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who tricked you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learned of you. This is the only question I got for you. you re- how did you receive the Holy Ghost? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you receive the Holy Ghost? Did you do all the things in the law and the Holy Ghost came upon you? Or did you hear by faith and all of a sudden you got filled with the Holy Ghost? He says, I just want to know. Did you keep all the law? Did you do all the sacrifices and God gave you his Spirit? Or did you just believe and receive? Are you so foolish? 
having begun in the spirit, you started out in the spirit, are now made perfect by the flesh? So if God started you in the spirit, are you supposed to finish it by yourself? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet vain? He therefore that ministers to you the spirit and works miracles among you, does he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The move of the Holy Ghost, is it because you kept the law or is it because of faith? Even as Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Why is he quoting, talking about Abraham? He went back to the book of Genesis. The law was not given to the book of Exodus. So when you look at the times in a theological perspective, they call the time before the law the years of chaos. The years of chaos. Abraham did not have the law. Yet God said he was righteous. But he couldn't do the law to become righteous by their standard. So how was he made righteousness? By believing. God told him, this is what your seed shall be. This is your future. This Abraham believed and God called him righteous. Righteousness comes by faith. The righteousness you can try to get by doing all the right things are filthy rags, as the prophet says. When you read Philippians chapter 3, Paul said, I am after the righteous which is by faith. I don't care about the righteousness that comes from the law. He says, if I cared about it, I probably could do better than everybody else. He said, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Pharisee. I persecuted the church by my countrymen's standard. If they judge after what I did with my flesh, I would be the mature, perfect, righteous one. But he says, I count all of that as trash. I count all of that as dog dung. That I might get the righteousness which is by faith. The righteousness, the right standing with God that is by faith is greater than any type of righteousness you can try to get by keeping a list of rules. So Paul is echoing these sentiments You're not supposed to perfect what you do by your own works. It's by faith. Remember when we talked about grace a few weeks ago on a Sunday? We said whatever you are saved by is what you live by. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are saved by grace through the channel of faith. So in order to experience growth and the fruit of the Spirit, it's not going to be by our works. It's going to be by faith and grace. So that means I can't do enough things to make the fruit of the Spirit grow. Right? It has to come by faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Understand the context of the fruit of the Spirit. Before we even define what it is, understand the context. Galatians 6, verse 7, be not deceived. He already says who's bewitched you, so stop being tricked. Don't be tricked any longer. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So you look before, he says, let him that is taught in work communicate unto him that teaches all good things. He is talking about finances here. But also when you read the entire book, he's also talking about more. 
For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. So the person that sows to his flesh and keeps on doing the works of the flesh is going to reap destruction. That is the harvest that's coming their way. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So in order to grow on the fruit of the Spirit, I have to walk by faith. I have to know they come through Jesus Christ. But I also must sow to my Spirit. If I want to grow on the fruit of the Spirit, I have to sow to my Spirit. How do I do that? I go to Hebrews 12. One of the things you have to realize about your heart, your spirit, it's a production center. Whatever you put in, you will produce out. Trash in, trash out. Ratchetness in, ratchetness out. Things of the spirit in, things of the spirit out. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore seeing... We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So notice a weight is not necessarily a sin. There can be some things God tells you to do that is not a universal law for everybody else. It's just a weight to you. God says, yeah, you don't need to do that. You don't need to watch TV past 10 o'clock. So now you can't go preach. Well, God doesn't want anyone to watch TV past 10 o'clock. No, he just told you that. Because for you, that is a weight. But for someone else, it's not a weight. So there are some things in the scripture that is universal for everybody. But there are some things the Holy Ghost will lead you to do so that you won't have certain weights in your life. One of the things we do in the body of Christ, we preach things the Holy Ghost told us specifically as individuals and not the word of God. That's how different doctrines get made. People create all types of crazy things. Trying to get close to the fruit of the Spirit, but missing it far apart. Oh, ladies, you can't wear makeup. You have to have a holy Pentecostal bun. The guys can have the greatest suits ever, but you have to wear the worst clothes ever. That's not the Holy Ghost. We have to make sure we follow the Word of God, not the traditions of men. Now, some of the traditions were put in place out of the right heart. But we have to make sure we follow the word of God, which is the law of liberty, and follow after the leading of the Holy Ghost. So set aside weight. Set aside sin. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's from Jesus the fruit of the Spirit flow. The author and the developer, that's what the word finisher means, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, thinking little or not even considering the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint and get tired in your own mind. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards, not sons. 
So if God doesn't correct you, you don't belong to him. You're a bastard. But if God corrects you, that means you're his child. Now, you have to think, well, how does God correct his people? Does he send natural disasters? No. Does he make people sick? No. Does he steal all their money and say, I'm going to make you be broke to learn something? No. He teaches you with the word of God. Why would he have to take something from Satan's wheelhouse to teach you something? That must mean you must be a poor teacher if you have to go get props from Satan. And the Holy Ghost is the greatest teacher. He's not a poor teacher. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasing us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. So he says, we've had fathers that corrected us in, what, in the ways they thought best. But God corrects us so that we can profit. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. When you're being corrected, people usually don't enjoy it. People like to give the correction, but they don't like to be corrected. Because at the moment you're being corrected, it doesn't feel that good. It seems grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So wait a minute. It yields peaceable fruit of righteousness. So when the word corrects you and you receive the correction, it's an opportunity of the fruit of the Spirit to go to another level in your life. Which lets me know that even in your personal study time, if there are areas you are struggling with, then you need to start studying on those scriptures and those passages about those areas. Because now you're setting yourself up to receive correction from the Lord. And as you do, fruit of the Spirit will be developed in that area, which will help you stand strong against the lust and the works of the flesh. So you have to live by faith. You have to understand it comes through Jesus. And you have to set yourself up to get the Word of God on the subject. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So when you walk by the wisdom of God, the leading of the Spirit and the Word of God, you'll grow in the fruit of the Spirit. But also remember, as we said at the beginning, it comes through Jesus. Which lets me know the fruit of the Spirit in my life is not about me keeping the law. It's about my relationship. The fruit of the Spirit growing in my life is not by my performance, but it's by my relationship. Whoever you are close to and spend a lot of time with, you're going to pick up on the attributes. I remember when I first, one of the years I was at ORU, we had a group of guys on our floor who were from the islands. Multiple different islands. And when I first met them, I could not understand what they said at all. They would say something real fast. I'm like... Dude, I'm from America. I need you to slow down just a little bit. Explain. No, you can't use those words. I have no idea what that word meant. But after I spent some time with them, we lived together on the floor. It got to the point, no matter how fast they talked, no matter what slang they used, I knew what they meant. Why? I spent time with them. And one of the things I realized on that floor, we had people from all around the world, all around the country, all came with our own unique thinking and styles and verbiage and phraseologies. But we spent enough time together, we picked up on the sayings of each other. 
We picked up on the habits of each other. What happened? We spent so much time together, we started blending together. You start spending some quality time with Jesus, you're going to pick up on his character attributes, which are the fruit of the Spirit. Those nine fruit are, is the character of Jesus. You start spending time with him, you're going to start acting like him. Which means you have to value, you have to covet, you have to protect your time with God. We live in a fast-paced society where everything is trying to steal our attention and steal our time. So that means you have to look every day and say, I'm going to have to spend some time with Jesus. And you may not even be at a point where you can spend a long period of time. Look for small moments. Many small moments throughout the day. Five minutes here, five minutes there, steal away to be with him. Doesn't mean you have to go hide in a closet somewhere. You just acknowledge, Father, I thank you that you're with me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for what you just did. I, I know that was you. I didn't make that work out. You made that work out for me. Ask for your wisdom as I go forward. Show me what to do in that meeting. Be specific when you ask for wisdom. Don't say, well, I just need wisdom today. Well, yes, that's general. Be specific. I need wisdom in that meeting. I need wisdom when I talk to that person. I need wisdom for this and that and the other. Because if you ask for it, he'll give it to you liberally in a bread of knowledge. Walk with him. Remember, it says walk in the spirit. This is talking about a daily relationship. Because when you live in his presence, his presence can transform you. We talk about these midweek and Sundays. These are faith experiences where you experience God, experience his word, experience his presence, experience his love. But if you get to a point, you keep walking with God, you become a living experience. So wherever you go, people experience God. Wherever you go, they experience his word. Wherever you go, they experience his presence. Wherever you go, they experience his love. Wow, you spend time with him. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. You may have spent, man, I had a great time of prayer this morning. I got in the word. You're doing good. You didn't get upset in traffic. Someone cut you off. You were patient. He said, God bless you. You didn't tell them they were number one. You were patient. You get to the office. You're doing pretty good. But then it's not that one person that always pushed your buttons. And you were doing good. And then you slipped and he told them some choice words. And you're like, oh. I thought I prayed this morning. I thought I read the word. I thought I did my faith confession. Don't get over into condemnation. Ask God for forgiveness. And pick up where you left off. Transformation takes time. We live in a society where we expect transformation and everything to be like this. You know, for most millennials, when we grew up, when the internet came out, it was those AOL discs in the mail. You put it in. Go make yourself some Kool-Aid. Go watch a show on Nickelodeon. And, a few, and eventually in 30 minutes, the internet will be on. You got mail. But now, let something take longer than two seconds to load on your phone. We have problems. I don't pay them that much for my phone to go so slow. But we have that same mentality when it comes to our spiritual development. God, why am I not growing fast enough? Keep spending time with them. Stop condemning yourself. Spend more time with him. Because if you get full of condemnation, all you're going to do is what you kept doing wrong. If your mindset is sin, 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 don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, what are you thinking about? Sin. It didn't say in Hebrews 12, keep your eyes on not sinning. It said keep your eyes on Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at his example. Spend time with him. 
Because as you spend time with him, it says we love him because he first loved us. So as we spend time with him and experience his love, we're going to respond in love towards him. And Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So once we receive love from him, it enables us to live right. It's not opposite. You can't expect to live right if you don't have a right relationship. And if you think that God's always looking to zap you, that God's always looking to judge you, then you don't have a right relationship. How can he come boldly to a person you think is out to get you? How can he come boldly to someone and ask them for something if you're afraid of them? You can only come boldly to someone you know that loves you and wants you to be there. That reserved a spot for you. When you understand how much he loves you and his extravagant love towards you, that he did everything because he loves you, that the great grace of God is because he loves you, that everything we read about, every promise is because he loves you, that he looks forward to spending time with you, that he's looking forward even though you're sleepy, even though you just woke up, you may got some stuff in your eyes, you're still making your coffee, and you come in. Say, Father, I thank you for this day. Jesus, you know I need help right now. I'm trying not to go back to bed. You might think, well, God's not pleased with that. Yeah, he is. You came to spend time with him. You made that first step. You made that effort. One of the things I had friends tell me who had kids before I did, they said, you, will, you understand the love of God now, but you really understand it after you have kids. And so, my toddler, she's two. We get excited about every single thing she does. Why? She's ours. Man, where did she learn that word? How did, she, how did her vocabulary get that big? Wow, she's counting to 20. Wow, wow, wow. We're amazed by her because we love her. God is amazed by you. Look at them. They just did a faith confession. I'm so proud of them. They read their Bible. They woke up early. They were tired, but they still got up out of bed to read that Bible. I'm proud of them. Man, they walked in forgiveness towards that person. They didn't cuss that person out. They really wanted to, but they held their tongue. Oh, look at them. They're doing such a great job. You have to understand God loves you. You have to understand he approves of you. You are accepted in the beloved. That's what Ephesians 1 says. When you're born again, you're accepted. doesn't matter how messy you are. You're accepted. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. So he'll keep working on you and working on you and working on you and working on you and working on you. And you'll look more and more like Jesus every single day. It talks about in John's writings that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. What happens? We keep spending time with him. We're going from glory to glory, faith to faith. Glory to glory, faith to faith, strength to strength. We'll look more and more like Jesus until he calls us home. It's a process. Don't get frustrated in the process. And in the process of you spending time with him, in the process of you walking by faith, in the process of you feeding and building up your spirit, in the process of you building up your spirit by praying in the Holy Ghost, in the process of you getting the Word of God and letting the Word of God feed your spirit, now let the Word of God correct you, the fruit of the Spirit will be developed 
and you'll start having the same character as of Jesus. It won't be a thought process, what would Jesus do? You just do it. And so people, especially people in the world, they don't know how to reach Jesus. They don't know what Jesus would do. But they'll say, well, I'm sure Jesus would do exactly what they did. It's like what Jesus said to Philip. He says, Philip, why are you asking to see the Father? You've seen me, so you've seen the Father. We have to keep walking with Jesus at a certain point that we can get this boldness and confidence that, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. Because Jesus lives in me. We have to line up our actions to a point that this is what Jesus would do in that situation. This is how Jesus would answer that situation. Which means we also have to learn how to be quiet. Because Jesus doesn't always answer every question. Remember when the Pharisees came after him, they wanted him to condemn the woman that got caught in adultery? So number one, is a setup. Number two, there was still a man involved where they didn't bring him, but they just brought the woman. So there's a setup. She's disheveled, half closed. They're saying, Jesus, what should we do about this situation? What should we do about this situation? It's almost like social media. You need to respond. If you don't post within six hours, then you must condemn or you must agree with what's going on. Jesus said you got to post about every single issue. Jesus said you have to post about every single shooting. Jesus didn't say you have to post about everything the president says or Congress does. Jesus didn't say you got to post about everything. What did Jesus do? Let's start doing some of the sand. He could have been riding. He could have been drawing a picture. He could have been drawing a nice little pretty flower. Maybe so he started riding in the sand. They kept yelling accusations. He just ignored them. They try to quote scripture. They're trying to quote scripture to the word, and the word is ignoring them. It's riding in the sand. Looks up. He who was out sin cast the first stone. And it goes back to riding or making this pretty picture. And he looks up. He says, they all left, eldest to youngest, dropped their rocks. And looked at the woman and says, where are your accusers? She's like, they left. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's how Jesus dealt with sin. Jesus had tougher words for religious people. He had tough words for some kings too. But notice how he dealt with sin. He said, don't do it. Now go. Stop thinking Jesus is judging you everywhere you go. He's not. You have to understand sin is a non-issue with God. What do you mean, Pastor? How do you can say sin is a non-issue? The blood of Jesus already covered it. So don't think God is thinking, oh, how can I stop them from sinning? He already told you how you can stop. Well, how am I going to deal with this? I messed up. Judge yourself and you won't be judged. How do you judge yourself? You come before God and say, I missed it. I blew it. I did wrong. It was sin. I admit it. Now, according to 1 John 1, 9, I ask that you forgive me and cleanse me from this unrighteousness. And I receive the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. And after that, you're as pure, as perfect as Jesus. God already punished Jesus. Why would he want to punish you? But if you develop a punishment mentality, that God is looking to judge me mentality, you will not grow in the fruit of the Spirit. You try to fulfill some of these works of the flesh by keeping the law. And as a result, you're going to be mean and evil to people. And we just like the man who was forgiven of the $20 million debt. The first thing he did, he ran and found someone who owed him 20 bucks. Grabbed him by the neck, shook him, says, pay me what you owe me. And he says, give me some time. I'll pay you all. Just like the man who owed a lot and said to the king. And he refused and threw him in jail. The other servants ran and told the king, it says, the man you forgave $20 million worth of debt 
wouldn't forgive someone of 20 bucks. Now we think, man, that $20 million per person had that debt must have really been an evil or mean guy. I don't think so. Do you know what I think? He really didn't believe he was forgiven. Because if someone just forgave you of $20 million worth of debt, and the first thing you do is go and get $20, your mindset is, I still have to pay that man back. He didn't believe he's forgiven. How many Christians are running around with an inferiority complex, with a false holiness complex, thinking they have to pay God back? You are saved by grace. Grace is a gift. You do not owe God anything. If you owed him because of your salvation, then it's something you have to earn. But if you receive by faith, it's a gift. So because I receive this great love from God, I don't have to do this because I owe him. I do this because I love him and I'm grateful. It's a different mentality. Because if I do this because I love him and I'm grateful, then my mentality is, hey, he forgave me, he'll forgive anybody. But if I'm doing this because I'm going to earn my righteousness, I'm going to earn my holiness, I'm going to earn these fruit of the Spirit, then you're going to be judgmental to everybody you run across. You won't forgive people because you don't believe you're forgiven. But if you believe you're forgiven, if you're believed you're loved, you're growing the fruit of the Spirit. Because as Paul prayed, is that the love would overflow more and more. And as a result of the love overflowing, you'll be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. It's believing that God loves you extravagantly and loving others in the same way. And that's how the fruit grows as well. Stand to your feet. Glory to God. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the leading of your spirit. We thank you that we're forgiven. We thank you that the greater one, the Holy Ghost, lives on the inside of us. Help us walk this way so we may be filled with the fruits of righteousness and overflow with your love. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.